morning. It is really good to be together. It's great to worship together. Uh, my name is John. I'm the uh, youth and young adult director here at First Pres, and I'm so grateful and thankful uh, to be with you this morning. Let's go ahead and pray. Uh, Lord, uh, we come before you in gratitude and thankfulness. Uh, may your name be honored and glorified. Uh, Lord, sanctify us by the truth. Your word is truth. Keep us safe from the evil one. Open the eyes of our hearts, Lord, that we may know and comprehend what you have called us to, uh, that we may know how wide and long and deep your love is for us, which is incomprehensible. Uh, Lord, we come before you, uh, teach us, speak to us, may we hear your word clearly, uh, bless our time together. In Jesus' name we all pray. Amen. Uh, we are continuing our series called The Sermon on the Mount, probably the most popular sermon of all time. Uh, and uh, thankfully, we've been able to spend or go week by week with each sort of uh, subcategory within the text. And so nonetheless, we will continue on uh, going forward in uh, the book of Matthew. And today we're in Matthew chapter 6. And so we're going to hang out in the first section, uh, verses 1 through 4. So I'm going to go ahead and read that now, and then uh, we're just going to take it verse by verse and see what the Lord has for us. So Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 1, it says, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do, in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. So we're going to take these verses uh, step by step, word by word, and sort of see what God has for us. Starting in verse 1, I'm going to go ahead and reread it. It simply says this, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. And this verse 1 is sort of the thesis for this chapter in chapter 6. It's sort of the overarching idea that we're going to come to understand uh, as we go on. So Jesus shifts from uh, going from, you have heard it said, but now I say to you, to now truly I tell you. So in chapter 5, really, he was explaining some of the Old Testament commandments, some scriptures, clearing things up, and now he's shifting to something new, something different. Uh, but primarily what he's talking about here is truly, I tell you, he's talking about our first three segments. So today, we're going to talk about giving to the needy. Next week, we're going to talk about prayer, and then uh, we're going to be talking about fasting. But really, I want to hang out in this important phrase in verse 1 that's sort of really important to understand, and it simply says this, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others. So practice your righteousness. What does that mean? In the New King James Version, it says, be careful not to practice your charitable deeds. King James Version says, alms before men. NASB says, practice your righteousness. So what does that mean? Before we move on to the text at hand, really, I'd like to just spend a couple minutes talking about what does righteousness mean? Uh, in relation to who we are before God. And so we can spend weeks and weeks and weeks on this idea of righteousness, and that would be really cool to do. Uh, but nonetheless, I'm going to give you sort of the Reader's Digest version of just a few minutes. So 
What does righteousness mean? There are two parts in the Bible that speaks of righteousness in regards to us, you and me. And the first thing is simply salvation, standing, position before God. The act of being made right by Jesus before God through the gifting of faith from the Holy Spirit. Something a born-again believer must possess, right? If we are to enter the kingdom of God, all of us must be righteous before God or have God's righteousness. We all likely, or many of us know the verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, that says, God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, so that in Jesus we might become what? The righteousness of God, right? Through what Jesus did, we can be righteous, stand righteous before the Lord. It is something that we are. It is something that we possess. We are righteous. Those who have repented and believed, we stand before God rightly. It's a gift. The scripture also uses a lot of synonymous terms along with righteousness. They're all sort of the same, but a little bit different in uh, nuances or text or context. Um, and they're, they're simply these. The scripture has called us to be new creations, 2 Corinthians 5. Ephesians 1 says we must be redeemed. Ephesians 2 says, God who uh, brought us who were once dead in transgressions and sins, he then made us alive. John chapter 3, Jesus says, you must be born again. Acts chapter 16, there's somebody who's uh, talking with Paul, and he goes to Paul, and he says, what must I do in order to be saved? And Paul answers, repent and believe. In Acts 26, the followers of Jesus, they're first called Christians, Acts 24, they're called the followers of the way and many other synonymous terms. But in order to know Jesus, we must stand before him righteous. We must possess God's righteousness given to us through Jesus. And we know that without being made righteous or possessing faith or being declared right before God, we cannot do anything that pleases God. Hebrews 11, chapter 11, verse 6 says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. And in the same way, in Romans chapter 8, verse 8, it says, those controlled by their sinful nature cannot please God, right? And so it's in order to please God with offerings in which he will be pleased by, we need to be first made right before God, because without faith, it's impossible to please God. We can't even begin to approach the Lord without first being made right. And so the important thing, although the Sermon on the Mount really talks about morality and doing good and living right and living righteously, which is important, the pre-question to all of that is, instead of am I living rightly, the question is, am I right before God? And that's the question that's all under all this, uh, Matthew chapter five, six, and seven. Am I right before God? Have I repented for my sins? Have I believed? Am I in right standing? Because you can follow the Sermon on the Mount fully and perfectly, but it won't matter if you're not right before the Lord. It's like the rich young ruler. I've kept all of these things since I, since I was young, right? But he didn't possess faith. 
And so that's what, in part, what righteousness means. But the second part, which is in context of Matthew chapter six, Matthew chapter five, it simply means the standard for the Christian life, to live righteously, live into your righteousness, which is the chapter is referencing. And today we're gonna talk about living righteously by giving to those in need. And then Jesus then, in verses one through 18, he talks about prayer, he talks about fasting, storing up treasures in heaven, and then trusting God and not worrying. So the reality is our morality and how good we are as people, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, that will not save us. But our morality, our good works, our ethics, what we choose to do and not do, will reveal who Jesus is to us. And that's what's important. And the idea here is that because Jesus gave, we must give. Because Jesus prayed, we also must pray. Because Jesus fasted, we ought to also fast. And Jesus here is also correcting how we ought to conduct ourselves in worship. Over time and throughout the generations from um, the Old Testament to where we are now with Jesus, just like in our lives, the Pharisees came to the selfish, selfish, egocentric praise from men, uh, methodical forms of giving, praying, and fasting. They turned all of these acts of worship to instead of being about God, to being about them. And Jesus, much like he did in chapter five in correcting theology, the Ten Commandments, and other things, here he is correcting our worship. Our worship is not about us, it's not about me, it's all about God the Father. So he's coming to correct our worship, and primarily he's coming to correct our giving, our praying, our fasting, what we do with materials, and then what we worry about. And that's all chapter six. So he's coming and correcting what it means to worship Jesus, how Jesus prescribes, describes, commands us to worship him. So let's go ahead and jump back into verse one. It says this, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your father in heaven. So Jesus starts off here with a simple do not or not to. Do not practice your righteousness i.e. live out your faith, put your practices and scriptures and thoughts and in action. Don't do that for the praise of men because if you do, that will be your only reward. Do it instead for the praise of God, for God, for men, for others. It's interesting though, also here in chapter six, the word reward, which is something that we don't really think about in our faith, right? The word reward is used seven times in verses one through 18. So he talks all about reward a bunch of times in verses 18. And then after that, he transitions and he talks about treasures in heaven. And then he ends off the chapter by talking about God will provide our needs. So it's all these tangible ways in which God is going to bless us. And the principle here that is, if you give, if you pray, if you fast in front of others so that they may say, oh, wow, you're such a generous giver or you're such a faithful prayerer or a wonderful faster. Those are all made of words, by the way, but they seem to make sense. Then that will be your only reward, and the Father will pass over the reward that was meant for you and not give it to you. So if our reward is praise from men, then that will be our reward. But isn't reward from our Heavenly Father better? 
So our motives is really the focus of what we do in our worship when it comes to giving, when it comes to praying, when it comes to fasting, when it comes about our material possessions and what we worry about. So let's go ahead and jump to verse two with all that context in verse one, understanding uh, this new sort of segment in Jesus' uh, Sermon on the Mount. Verse two, uh, we're gonna read this verse probably about three times and this is where we're gonna spend about 70% of our time just unpacking what it means. Let's go ahead, uh, I'll go ahead and read it in verse two, it says this. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. And we're gonna take this verse uh, sort of word by word and see what it has. And so our first point is simply this. When you give, there are standards in which Jesus calls the followers to follow. We could probably list a hundred things that God has called us to do as men and women of God, as new creations, as believers, as those who stand righteously before God. And we could probably name a hundred of them. But here Jesus is using a metric of how generous and giving we are. But what's interesting about the text is it does not say if you give, It does not say when you feel like giving. It says when you give. There's a kingdom principle and understanding that our lives are not for us alone, but they're for Christ to use us to bless other people. And so in the scriptures, we traditionally understand two types of giving. And one of them can simply be called our regular tithes and offerings to the local church, right? God calls us to give back out of a generous and an abundant heart to the local church, right? To the people that will bless us. But then there's the second component uh, that has sort of no real metric on it, but it's just that you ought to do it, right? And that's what we're gonna talk about today, which is giving out of the abundant blessings that God has given you and me. So this is on top of our regular giving. We ought to give to others. So every follower of Jesus should be doing both, giving out of all the things that God has richly blessed us with. Then Jesus specifies in this verse, in a broad sense, who are we to give to? He simply says we're supposed to give to the needy. Much like Jesus' tagline when he says, love your neighbors, we ask the question, or they ask the question, and we wonder the question, who is our neighbor? And Jesus responds by saying what? Everyone's your neighbor. So then the question is, when Jesus says, when you give to the needy, who is the needy? Simply, to not overcomplicate it, it's those in need, right? The needy are those in need. And the Bible is filled with commands and calls and exhortations and urges for us to give to the needy. And we're just going to explore a few of, the, a few of those before we move on in verse 2. We're gonna start with the Old Testament, Leviticus chapter 19. This is just important to know that all throughout the scriptures, God has a plan for us giving. And it says this, starting in Leviticus 19, verse nine, um, talking to the Israelites, when you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Instead, leave them for the who? the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. Who provides the growing of the crops? Is it the farmer or is it God? We understand it to be God, right? God provided for the farmer, but not only did he provide for the farmer, but he provided an excess for the farmer so that others might be blessed 
through him, because of him, because of his hard work. And another uh, principle is apparent within this text as well. The farmer takes all he owns and all he has, and what does he do with it? He buries it in the ground, right? He takes all that he has and he buries it, and he hopes that by faith that God will provide rain in the right context and what he has on the ground will grow. And in like manner, I think us as Christians ought to look at each paycheck and ask the question, how can I honor the Lord in what he has blessed me with? Because loving the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, body, strength, surely also includes our checkbooks, our paychecks, what's in our savings, what's in our checking. Right, Because in order to love the Lord, it requires people or God calls us to live generously. Here's another verse in Luke chapter 3, verses 9 through 11. It says this. This is John the Baptist uh, talking to people. Uh, Repent for the, king, for the kingdom of heaven is near. He says this in verse 9. The axe is already at the root of the trees. And every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What should we do then? The crowd asked. And John simply answered this. Anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. And anyone who has food should do the same. It is not the giving of a shirt that will save someone, but instead the giving of the shirt and the sharing of the food and providing for the needy is evidence of Christ working within our own hearts. And it's evidence of a transformed life. And the two shirt analogy is also very interesting. It is clear that those who may not have much, whether it's just two shirts, still have where we can give. Because, the God, because God has called the church to be generous, to give what we have, to share what we have, to bless those in need. And it's a wonderful, beautiful message. We're gonna jump to Proverbs chapter 14. It says this. It is a sin to despise one's neighbors, but blessed is the one who is kind to the needy. Don't we want to be uh, people known that are kind to the needy? Another verse in Proverbs chapter eleven twenty five 25, it says this. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will himself be refreshed. I remember back in 11th grade when I memorized this verse, um, and it has been a treasure for me ever since then. Um, because it taught me what am I supposed to do with my resources. Back when I was in 11th grade and I started my first job working as the church as like the maintenance guy, so I would set stuff up. I would like mow the lawns or whatever else, and I made a whopping $7.50 an hour. Um, and so I would wonder, what do I do with that money? And when I memorized this verse, it says, a generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will himself, themselves, be refreshed. And that's, that's, the, that's the role of the church, right? Is to be generous. And do we not all want to prosper? And do we not all want to be refreshed? And as Jesus said elsewhere, it's more blessed to give than what? Receive, right? There are all these things around giving what we have. And our last verse before we jump back into Matthew chapter six is Luke 14. And it says this. Then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. Uh, that's not a pass not to invite your family over, though, by the way. <laughs> Instead, if you do, they may invite you back and you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, who are you to invite? Invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, the needy and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. 
We give not for the praise of men, not for the hope of return in kind, nor so that someone may be under our debt and we can call on a favor later. We give because there is a need. We give out of the abundant love that God has bestowed on us and that should flow out to us by our generosity in what we give. We give because we had a great need that only the Lord Jesus could fill, and he filled it. And because of that, he set as an example what we are to do likewise. So all these verses, and there are probably hundreds of more that we could run through, but nonetheless, we'll jump back to our text in Matthew chapter 6, verse 2. We're going to reread it again for our second time. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with the trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received the reward in full. So God calls us when you give. Now let's talk about to the needy. What does that mean? The needy person, as we understand it, as we see it, as we know it, all throughout the scriptures, all throughout our lives, the needy person is simply the person in need. We don't even need to step out of some of our homes to find the person in need. Then when we step out of our homes, we don't even need to walk 30 feet in order to find someone who's in need. And imagine traveling a one mile radius from your home. How many people are there who are in need? But to be more specific or to be more clear, the needy, they also include the hungry, the thirsty, the impoverished, the sick, and the imprisoned, the one who is lonely, hurting, depressed, sick, dying in a difficult season, the busy parent, the single mom, the confused teen, the lonely elderly person, the grieving widow, the hospital patient, the over-busied teenager, the drug addict, the one living on the streets, the almost evicted, and surely you and me would be in this category as well. The needy are our physical neighbors also who are wealthy but have a great need for their salvation, for Jesus. I don't know if you listen to Christian radio or not. How many of you are Christian radio listeners? Uh, what usually happens a couple times throughout the year that causes us to change the radio station? The, I don't want to say it, but we all know what it is, right? The pledge drive. And we're all like, oh, I'm tired of hearing this. I'm just going to move on. But there are all these organizations in which are like uh, buying for our, our money, our resources, our time. If you ever, ever have given to an organization maybe 10, 15 years ago, how many of you are still receiving letters from them about donating? Yeah, yeah, we all can relate to that one, right? Um, or if we see people just simply on the streets asking for money or clothing or other things, sometimes they're very honest about what they actually really want. Uh, in the Christmas season, we see many organizations requesting donations, whether it's uh, food, whether it's clothing, whether it's serving, whether it's time. Our, our organizations, our areas, and culture and city is just filled with needs. Food kitchens are asking for volunteers. Our second harvest trucks that come to our parking lot need people to help give out food. Um, over the summer, uh, I took a few, or me and a few leaders, we took a few students to uh, San Francisco and Tenderloin, and every Thursday, they do this thing called the food pantry, where uh, this uh, local uh, market comes and drops off pallets and pallets of fresh vegetables. Um, and they said that they've actually had to cancel giving out the food because they just didn't have the people to do it. And they would give out, I don't know, hundreds of fresh produce to those in need in the area. So obviously we see many areas in which there are needs, right? And so the question is, where can I jump in and lend a helping hand? 
Lend some of my resources, lend some of my time to those who are in need. Or maybe instead um, of giving, we, talking about me, I would rather have that new TV or get Starbucks every day or spend way too much on Taco Bell. I'm guilty of that one personally. But we all have those things in which we have that we don't necessarily need. And instead of giving those things, God is calling us, Jesus is calling us instead, don't store up treasures here on earth, but store up treasures in heaven. Give your resources to those in need. What would it look like for you and for me to look at last month's budget and ask where our money went and simply ask, What can I do without this month in order for me to stretch myself a little bit more and give to those in need? And all of our contexts are different. All of our paychecks are different. All of those things look different and unique to us. And it's not about giving 90% of your uh, uh, paycheck away and sort of, you know, uh, uprooting your whole life, but it's simply asking, what can I do without in order to give and meet needs of those for the community? And the need doesn't need to always be simply financial, although I think that's a huge part of what Jesus is talking about. But there are many other ways in which we can give. Is someone moving near you? Might you be able to spare three hours? Do you see a parent who needs a breather? Can you reach out to them and ask if you can watch their kiddos? Can you manage an extra $50 on your grocery bill this month so you can buy diapers for Samaritan House for parents and moms in need? Right? There are many ways in which we can give. And we all understand that and we all see that. And I'm sure as I said this, many things in your own contexts as well also popped into mind of, oh, that would be a great way to give. That would be a great opportunity to love and serve our neighbors. Let's jump back into verse two and we're gonna read it for the third and last time. Verse two says this. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. And our third point is simply this. Do not announce it with trumpets to be honored by other people. Here we have the warning label of our giving, right? All of us want to be generous givers, but Jesus says it's all about your heart on why you are giving. Do good and give to the needy, but do not tell people what you are doing in order that you may be honored by our Father and receive praise, not from men, but reward from God. There's a wonderful thing every year during confirmation or every time during baptism. Uh, Shannon always says this really cool thing and I love it. He always says our faith was not meant to be private. We are not to hide what we believe. We are not to hide from living God's way. In Romans chapter one, verse 16, it says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, right? Because it's the power of God. 1 Corinthians 1 says the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who believe it is what? The power of God. We all understand that we should not be um, um, embarrassed by what we believe. We should not hide it. We should be open about it. We should share Jesus because these are the truths that matter, and these are the things that matter for eternity. So we shouldn't be ashamed of them. We should be open about it and we should live out our faith and we should tell people about Jesus and we should invite them to church and we should live righteously. We should not be uh, afraid of things that the world looks down on in regard to what Jesus calls us to believe and act and live. We should wear that with a badge of honor and honor Jesus with our life. We ought to be the light of the world, the salt of the earth. That is what God commands us to. But yet, 
there's this part of our faith that ought to be almost secret and silent. And that part is between you and the Father. It's between your family unit and God. It is when we give out of our abundance, God is calling us. Don't announce it. Don't tell people about it. Just do it. We live in a culture now of uh, social media, Instagram, Facebook, etc. And what are all those things about if you have an account? They're simply to do what? To promote who? Yourself, right? They're to promote yourself. So all of us carry this temptation that we sort of want to share with others what we do and what we're about. And I think that's wonderful and that's awesome. But when Jesus calls us to give, we're missing the point when we give and we tell everyone about it. How many of you ever been on social media and you'll see the people who have money and they find the stranger on the street? Have you ever found this before? And they'll uh, talk to them about their life or whatever and they'll ask them, hey, do you have food to spare? And it's obviously uh, apparent that this person is living on the streets and you know, usually sometimes they'll give out of what they don't really have and they'll give them like a dollar or two dollars or their jacket or whatever. And then this person who's recording this video will then like bless them with $500 and then there's like the sad music playing in the background and then it's like, like, oh, wow, what a great person that is. And I'm not saying that they're not good people, but I'm saying is they got their reward, which is the likes and the hearts and the uh, accolades from their neighbors. But what Jesus calls the people of God to be is when you give, don't do the video with the sad music in the background, right? No offense if anyone's ever done that. I don't mean to be offensive, but God has called us to do it in secret, in silence, in gratitude. Don't announce it with trumpets. And instead, you won't receive the honor and praise from your neighbor and from your coworker or from your boss or whatever it is. Instead, you will be rewarded from your Father in heaven. Let's continue on in verse three. And it says this, but when you give to the needy, do not tell your left hand or do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. When you give, again, when you give, do not even let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. Our giving ought to be in such privacy that we even forgot that we did it. We gave because the Lord first gave to us. We don't keep track of how much we've given, but we simply give. And then our last point is this. The Father who sees us, what is done in secret, will reward us. When you try with all your vigor, all your strength, not to tell anyone about your giving, and you give because of God's love for you, the Lord will reward you. When you write that check and no one knows about it, except for your family, you and God, surely the Lord will see and reward you. When you see someone in need and you stop and you talk to them and you give them an hour that you do not have, the Lord will see and reward you. When you see a family in need and you buy some groceries, and nobody else knows about it besides you and that person. The Lord sees and the Lord will reward you. When we honor God by our giving in secret, then God will reward us. And what's beautiful, once we give, God rewards us. And because he rewards us, we then have a more capacity to give. And then because we give out of that greater capacity, God will then reward us. And then what we have, because he rewarded us once again, what do we do with that? We then give to those in need. And it says that God will then, what? Will reward us. A generous person will prosper. 
he who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. And yet, in this giving, God also calls us to be wise in our giving. We're not just going to give our money out to the first person who asks us. We're going to be intentional and wise and thoughtful, methodical even, right? Intentional about how we use our resources, and God will honor that, and he will honor that. It says he will reward us. And so praise the Lord that we do have a generous church, that we do have generous people that give and give and give. And it's a beautiful thing, and it's a wonderful thing to be a part of. And that's what the God has called the church to be. And just like I said in the beginning, all these things are right. And this is how we live righteously into God's righteousness that he has given us. But most importantly, we ought to stand right before God. And as servants and followers of Jesus, may this last verse be our last statement. Each time we give in secret, each time we give when no one knows, each time we give when it hurts, like the widow with the two uh, pennies, right? Each time when we extend ourselves a little bit to our neighbor in need, may after we do that, then say this verse in Luke chapter 17. So you also, this is Jesus talking, when you have done everything you were told to do, like giving to the needy, should say, Lord Jesus, we are unworthy servants. We have simply done our duty. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this time that we get to talk about giving, Lord. Um, I just ask, Lord, that you speak to us through your scriptures on areas and places in which we can give and extend ourselves. And I thank you, Lord, on behalf of the people that do give generously and are faithful, Lord, that you would bless them and reward them. Lord, I pray for us that we will not hold tightly onto the things that you have given us. For in a mere few years, Lord, those things will be gone and we will be gone as well, Lord. May we honor you and our resources with our time and our treasures and our talents and that we would be a people that give, Lord, a people that give because you have greatly given to us. You have gifted us faith and love and forgiveness and hope and righteousness, Lord. And out of that abundance of giving and blessing in which you have bestowed on us, Lord, may we be people who then extend a helping hand to those in need and give likewise. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.